mercy and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Let us pray. O God of all glory, on this first day, the pattern of the week, the first day you began creation, bringing light out of darkness. On this first day, you began your new creation, raising Jesus Christ out of the darkness of death. With Jesus Christ, there is a new creation, a new life, a new covenant, a new humanity. We praise you that we have been brought into this new humanity through Christ. So on this Lord's Day, raise us up to you. Grant that we, the people you create by water and the Spirit, may be joined with all your works in praising you for your great glory. Through Jesus Christ, in union with the Holy Spirit, we praise you now and forever. Amen. Our first hymn is number 379, Lord Jesus Christ, be present now. Proof of God's amazing love is this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because we have faith in him, we dare to approach God with confidence. As, as the, book of, uh, the book of Hebrews tells us, we approach with confidence because Jesus Christ is our perfect sacrifice for our sin. In faith and repentance, let us therefore confess our sin before God and before one another. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father who receives your people into such wonderful communion that being united to your Son by faith, they should dwell in him and he in them. We who have sinned against you, approaching your presence and beholding your glory, repent of our transgressions. We have sinned, we have grievously sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have dishonored your holy name. Most merciful Father, 
For the sake of Jesus Christ, forgive us all our sins, deliver us by your Holy Spirit from all uncleanness, enable us freely to forgive others as we pray that you will forgive us and to serve you from this day forward in newness of life to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Please stand for the assurance of pardon. Hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn us? Only Jesus Christ, because he is our judge, the judge of all uh, creation, of all people. He is our Lord. But Jesus Christ is also the one who has died for us. He rose for us. He reigns in power for us. He intercedes for us. There is a new creation in Jesus Christ, and we have been brought into that new creation. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. I declare to you as a minister of the gospel that all those who have faith in Jesus Christ are truly forgiven of all their sins, and this is the good news of the gospel. Let us say together, praise be to God. Followers of Jesus Christ, the apostolic instruction to the church is to pray, and there are many such places, and even Jesus himself, of course, is the the basis of that instruction. The apostles are simply carrying on what Jesus taught his disciples, which is to pray. The scripture tells the church to pray for one another, that you may be healed. And so we do that in our worship service. We always have that included in our prayer of intercession. But we should be doing that also uh, as individuals. We're to pray earnestly for that what is lacking in our faith may be supplied. That God may make us worthy of his call and may fulfill every work of faith by his power. And for all that we need and lack for the well-being of others, that we may not do wrong for our improvement. So all these things we're to be praying for. We're to be praying for each other, and that is a daily service that we owe to God and we owe to one another. It is not a, an occasional practice that we're doing. We should discipline and order our time so that we're praying every week, every day, for those who are in need. If you do not pray for others, then you deny them a service that Christians are called to perform. Such prayer is a Christian discipline that we all must have. So pray every day. It is best for our prayers to be first thing in the morning, and that's what I try to do. Um, You don't do it just because I'm trying to do it, but that has been the practice of the church, to have prayers at many hours through the day. But in the Protestant churches, it's been more focused on morning prayer and evening prayer. And if at least we can get the morning prayer in, that would be good. Our prayers for others are called intercessory prayers, and intercessory prayers should be concrete, not just general, general things that we pray for, but specific things. The interest in these prayers is for specific people in specific difficulties, and therefore we make specific requests. As Christians pardoned of our sin and reconciled to God, know that God hears our prayers and he does respond to them. Our Lord Jesus Christ has taught us to pray, and he's given us his spirit to help us to pray. And don't we need that? We need the spirit of God to help us to pray. Therefore, let us intercede for others every day by the power of God's grace and how we discipline our lives. For this is God's will for us in Jesus Christ, and let us say, Amen. Our hymn is number 629, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Jesus, 
sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in Let us pray. Heavenly Father, who is to be feared more than all because you are the one true God, you are our creator, you are the ground of our existence, and there is no one greater than you. You judge the sinful world for its sin, and yet you redeem it through through Jesus Christ to make all things new. You are greater than all else, and so we come before you in humility. We know that you stop the mouths of the powers in this world, all kinds of powers, and in triumph you imprison those disobedient powers that are unseen. We thank you that you have blessed us in Jesus Christ, for it is he whom you have raised as Lord over all. He has joined us in the flesh, and by his perfect sacrifice we are reconciled to you. We pray now with tongues set free and hearts made confident by Jesus Christ. Almighty God, we petition you that Christians everywhere would live faithfully because of Jesus Christ as they follow him, and their suffering would be joined with his suffering. We pray for Christians who have so often met hostility in this world, as we see today in Pakistan, Iraq, Palestine, Turkey, Ukraine, Nigeria, China, North Korea, Central America, and even Christians in our own country. We pray you would not let the chaos that is in this world, flood the Middle East, the Americas, and the nations of Asia that 
so many times seem close to escalated conflict. By your grace, let not your church be discouraged or intimidated by those who reproach it. We also pray for the people in the cities of our country. We pray for your merciful hand to stop the violence in these places, that wise and realistic policies would be pursued, and that those who commit wrong would indeed um, face the justice that, that is necessary in those cases. But we pray also that you would churn them to yourself through the preaching of the gospel. May the Christians be strong to answer those who question us about Jesus Christ and your salvation through him. And may we do so in love and with compassion and understanding. Here are our prayers for your church as it faces the hostility of this world. As the city of Nineveh repented, may those who fight against you come to renounce their disobedient ways and fear and love Jesus Christ. We pray for the churches in our presbytery. We remember Grace Covenant Church in Sheffield, Ontario. We thank you that they have found a man who can supply the pulpit. We pray that they would be able to call someone as pastor. Bless them to serve you and lead them as they deal with pastoral matters. We also pray for Bethel Reformed Church in Fremont and their pastor, Vern Picknally. Pray you'd give him rest um, as he is coming off of being moderator for the last few years, moderator of our presbytery. We pray that he would be able to um, just get, get that rest that he needs as, as he serves the church. We pray you would keep the church, the mission works that we have in Eritrea and Uganda that you would keep those mission works vital and safe and productive. We pray for our missionaries and associates, Charles Jackson, James Folkerts, Angela Voskul, Leah Hopp, and Tina DeYoung, along with their families. Help the church in its ministry of the gospel. Hear our prayers for our missionaries and their families in the churches of this presbytery. Merciful Father, we pray for your blessed people here at Providence Church. Encourage us by your word and spirit to live in the promise of Jesus Christ. Remind us that being baptized into Christ, our sins are washed away by him. We pray for those who struggle with temptation or are depressed in spirit or are estranged from others. Hear our prayers for those who come to mind. We pray for those who are grieving, ill, recovering, or need some kind of help. We pray for Eduardo and Frida, for Jeff and Fawn, for Tammy and her family, for our friends Becky and Karen, for Tammy's friend Kara, for Angie, for Candace's mother Barbara, for Phil, Tom, Jane, Bob, and others we name to you in silence. Give them good care, O Lord our Savior, and strengthen their faith in you by your grace. Blessed are you, O Lord, for you have not forsaken us in our troubles, but you have visited us with comforts from above. You have supported us with patience. You have turned us toward your will. You have sent us relief. Continue your mercy towards us and prosper the means which shall be used for the healing of those who are in need, so that being restored to health of body and vigor of mind and cheerfulness of spirit, they may be able to go to your house to offer you their thanksgiving with great gladness, and they may serve you all their days. 
And we do pray that for all of us, you would prepare us for our impending death, which is so easily obscured in our society. Make us to renounce what is evil and stop doing what is wrong, as those who are raised in Christ's triumph over the world, the flesh, and the devil. To you who sits enthroned above the heavens and the earth, we make our intercessions in the power of the Spirit, through Jesus Christ, who abides with you, O Father, and who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us present our gifts and offerings to the Lord. Please be seated. And let's join together in prayer and ask for God's illumination. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us here this morning, and we thank you for a chance to gather together in your name and praise you. And we pray now that you would send your Spirit to open our hearts and open our minds and open our ears that we may hear your word, we may understand your word, we may love your wisdom that you have for us. We ask you to guide our reading, in Christ's name and for his sake, amen. Our Old Testament reading is from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 1 through 9. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. 
For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud. So the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Our psalter response comes from Psalm 30. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints. For his anger is but for a moment. Weeping may tarry for the night. As for me, I said in my prosperity, By your favor, O Lord, you hid your face. To you, O Lord, I cry. What profit is there in my death? Will the dust praise you? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing and clothed me with gladness. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Our epistle reading this morning comes from Philippians chapter 4. Verses 2 through 9. I entreat you, Doya, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Finally, our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 36 to 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. The word of the Lord. The Apostle Paul begins our text from Philippians with an appeal. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche. It's an appeal, a call, a summons to something. There was a rift between these two women, and Paul appeals to them to set it right and continue laboring together for Christ. The apostle also appeals to the church to help these two women. Now, we have all kinds of appeals today. They're made to us. uh, All kinds of appeals are made to us today. There are health appeals, government appeals, appeals from environmentalists, and moral appeals, and I've only named a few like the appeal lately to be up-to-date on vaccines, such as the MMR, which stands for measles, mumps, and rubella, that vaccine. It comes, this uh, appeal comes from the CDC and from health departments. USA Today ran a story recently, and it quoted Michael Osterholm, who's director of the University of Minnesota's Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. They need an acronym for that. The appeal... Um, and he, he, in the story, he's quoted, he says, we're going to start seeing more and more of these measles outbreaks. I guess you've heard that measles has come in, uh, come pouring into this country from apparently UK, uh, the United Kingdom. But Osterholm says, we're going to see more kids seriously ill and hospitalized. And what's so tragic about this is that these are all preventable. And the appeal is implicit in the story, and at the very end says, make sure, where it implies, make sure your children have the MMR vaccine, and it tells us that it provides near-complete immunity. So there's an appeal here, and even if, if the appeal isn't just overtly stated in this, 
USA Today story, it's pretty obvious, but there are plenty of health appeals coming out about this uh, need for this vaccine. Now, an appeal will have, uh, an appeal with any power will be based on something. If I appeal to you to all wear blue-colored clothing, which seems like many of you are not, upon further, uh, you, would, you would become, undoubtedly become bewildered, and you'd ask me why. Fair enough. And upon further discussion, you discover that my appeal is because blue is my favorite color. That is not much of a, ba- a basis for an appeal, for this appeal, is it? One cannot make an appeal and expect people to act on it if it is not supported by a large-scale framework. And that's why some of the appeals that we hear claim to be based on science, because our society uh, believes that science has a lot of clout, and therefore people respect an appeal made on solid scientific evidence. I wish I could give one for wearing the color blue, but I can't. Another basis for for many appeals in our culture is what is called mutual benefit. The appeal is that we do something because it is for the mutual benefit of everyone. For example, the appeal to go electric with cars and appliances rests on mutual benefit. It, it is very, a very strong basis for those kind of appeals. It will be good for the planet, we're told, and for all people if we get away from fossil fuels. But who decides what's mutually beneficial? Does it go no further than what people or society thinks is beneficial for them? And if mutual benefit depends on that, then it is an insufficient basis because there's no way to have general agreement on what benefits us. Mutual benefit then has to rest on something else to be a basis for that kind of an appeal. So the trouble is that so many of the appeals made to us are shallow. They don't have a great basis to them. There's nothing that really holds them up. It's like a poorly built hotel with a sign on the outside offering you comfort and rest, and then suddenly the hotel just collapses because it lacks structural support. The question with all serious appeals is whether or not the basis of the appeal is large-scale enough or substantial enough to support the appeal. And that's true with all of the modern appeals we hear today, and it's also true with the appeal we hear in our scripture lesson from Philippians. Now, in our text this morning, Paul makes some final appeals in his letter to the church. We're at chapter 4 now, so we're at the end of his letter to the Philippians. Now, technically speaking, some of these, what I'm calling appeals, are commands, but they come off more like appeals. And there are five of them in our text. He appeals to the two women, Eudoia and Syntyche, to have the same mind in the Lord. He appeals to the church to rejoice in the Lord always. He says, let all men know your generosity towards each other, and that's another appeal. And then Paul urges the church to have uh, no anxiety about anything, and he appeals to them to think about what is excellent and virtuous. Five appeals in our text Now, even though these appeals were made to the Philippian church, they will strike home with us. Be in agreement. Have the same attitude. Be joyful. Be magnanimous and generous with other people. Don't worry and pursue excellence. So what if I told you that these appeals in our reading this morning are hollow? That they have no ground under them? Well, I'm sure you would furrow your brow and not like what you hear. These are the appeals of the word of God. They're not hollow, you would say, and you would be exactly right. Yet don't we act like they're hollow appeals? Maintaining disagreements between brothers and sisters in Christ 
And it's so much easier to complain than to rejoice when things are not the way we think they should be. Besides, how do we rejoice when we lose our job or get sick? And is it good to rejoice now and then when things are going well, but always? That's an interesting qualifier, and that seems very exaggerated. And then this forbearance or generosity towards others, there comes a time when we have had it up to here with somebody. We can only give so much. We reach a breaking point, and it just becomes easier to withhold our love and care for them. As for worry, there's plenty of reasons to worry today. We can be anxious about keeping our job or our current standard of living. We can be anxious about the increase in food prices. We can be anxious about our children going to college and finding a career. We can be anxious about global warming. We can be anxious about terrorism. We can be anxious about growing old. We can be anxious about the church, the state of the church today. And the list goes on and on and on. I'm sure you all have your own personal uh, things that, that can make you anxious. Furthermore, it's quite unreasonable to keep our minds fixed on excellence and virtue. It is not cool to put into practice what is true and honorable, just, pure, lovely, and gracious all the time. The grotesque and the profane keeps our attention more easily. We are bombarded with the mediocre and what pleases our senses. How do you think about what is virtuous and excellent with all the TVs and the sound bites and the pictures and pop culture that comes to us? Maybe there's not much ground under these appeals. Maybe they are nothing more than appeals to our common sense or our best ideals. And if that is the case, they don't have much heft. These appeals don't have much heft. I... Um, have walked and hiked and backpacked many times up at Pictured Rocks National Monument. I love it up there. And so once I was hiking along the, the trail, the backcountry trail that runs along um, the lake there and the shoreline, and then uh, it, it comes to a cliff area. The trail follows the sandy hills beside the water, and then it begins to climb up onto the rocky sandstone cliffs above the lake. Sometimes people take those boats out onto the lake, or they kayak out, and I think they get the perspective from the lake up on those same cliffs, but you could hike up there too. And at one point, when I was hiking along here, there was a place where we could leave the trail and walk up to the edge of the cliff where there was a great view. And it was tempting to do so, except for a sign posted nearby which explained the danger of the ground there. What looked solid enough on top was cut out underneath by the natural elements. It was cut out like a giant sea. The top did not have much rock beneath it and could break away when more weight was added. In fact, there was plenty of evidence of large pieces of sandstone that had snapped off the top and fallen upon the rocks below. And the same will happen to these appeals if there's not much supporting them, they'll just snap off. If we try to hold up these appeals of Scripture with something other than Jesus Christ, then we'll see them collapse in our lives and in the church. It's like the house in Jesus' parable that was built upon the sand, and like that, the, these appeals will break apart and fall with a crash to the ground. If we try to base these appeals on something other than Christ, they will become wonderful coffee decorations or maybe plaques that we put up in our house. Nice to keep around and look at from time to time. Most likely, they will become meaningless platitudes. They just won't even take on much uh, force with us because we've heard them. And if they don't have any heft and we don't think they're supported on anything substantial, then they just become little kind of trite platitudes. 
Broken pieces of joy and generosity and harmony and virtue lying around in our lives and in the church. Well, the apostles' appeals are based on God's salvation in Jesus Christ. These appeals are rooted and grounded in Christ. It's like the bedrock and cement underneath the Rensen Center in downtown Detroit or the steel girders holding up the Empire State Building. Each one of these appeals is solidly set on Jesus Christ. And as we heard these appeals, right in the middle, there's a line that is not an appeal at all. The apostle said, I appeal to Eudoia and I appeal to Syntyche. Rejoice, he said, let all men know your generosity toward others. The Lord is near. Have no anxiety about anything. Think about virtuous and excellent things. And there it is, right in the middle of that list that I just read. The Lord is near. Now that's not an appeal. That's a statement. The Lord is near. Now Paul does not explain whether this means the Lord is near in presence or he is coming soon. That is not made clear here. But both are true. It's the nearness of the Lord to us that makes the appeals of the word of God Christian habits. The Lord is near. Jesus Christ is God with us. He's not with us or near us like a cheerleader urging us on, standing on the side, rooting for us in the big game. In Christ, God has claimed us as his own. You shall be my people and I shall be your God. He is near to us by uniting himself with, with, uh, himself with us. The Son of God was born into our humanity. He joined himself with us sinners. He was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. Near us through and through, through our joints and thoughts and desires, all the way to where our soul is knit to our body. He is near to us in the church, binding us together as parts of his one body. Being baptized into Christ, we are joined with him. We are near him as a branch is to a tree or a plant is rooted in the, in the earth. We are near him as water is in a lake. And since we are joined with him, the attitude and love and faith of Christ fills our hearts and minds. Jesus is near to us as the crucified Lord who gave his life for us so that we might be reconciled to God and to each other. By whose self-giving death we are forgiven of our sins and made the holy people of God. Remember Philippians 2. We've already heard it uh, probably about two months ago now, but we heard it before. He looked to our interests, not his own. And so he is near to us with the holes in his hands and his feet, with the scars in his head from the crown of thorns and risen from the dead. And that's the only way he can be near to us. So consider this with me. Right now, the Lord is near to us who have been baptized into him and have faith in him. He's near to us with the preaching of the word. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. It's the Spirit of God who is present with the preaching of his word and the reading of his word that makes it effective. And where the Spirit is... There is the Lord. 2 Corinthians says that and also says he has put his seal upon us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God, is present and work with us and within us. And he doesn't just give us a bunch of ideas to believe. He's present with us. It's the same with the Lord's Supper and the fellowship of the church. And the Lord is near to us personally. The Apostle Paul says 
in his letter to the Ephesians that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He's near to us, working within us, transforming us, healing us of our sin, comforting us, guiding us, and preserving us. So let's return to the five appeals in our scripture reading and hear again how they are all grounded firmly on Christ. The appeal to the two women is to agree in the Lord. Being joined with Christ, with the Lord, Christ's self-giving attitude is their attitude. That's the attitude and purpose they are to have with each other. It's not their own attitude and purpose, it's Christ. And if you're joined with Christ, then that becomes the stream that flows into you, giving you that attitude and purpose. The apostle has already said, be of the same attitude, have the same love, be in full accord and of one mind. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this attitude among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Again, that's back in Philippians chapter 2. These women can be in agreement with each other because the Lord is near and they're grounded in him. You see? And the appeal to rejoice is to rejoice in the Lord. The church is to rejoice always now because of God's salvation in Jesus Christ. God has not abandoned this world, but he has torn down the fortified city of sin. And we heard that, that, that uh, in, in uh, Isaiah 25, that the foreign city would just be a desolate ruin, the fortified city of sin. And he's the stronghold for the needy in distress. Our Old Testament reading also says that he has done wonderful things. He swallows up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. God redeems us forever and ever. Jesus Christ breaks the power of sin in our lives and turns everything that might distress us on its head. Everything that might distress us on its head. And there are always things that we want to keep out of that, or we just assume or not, or we just don't even think about how they've been turned on their head. But all the sin and evil in this world has been turned on its head. And our own sin, it will not last because of what Jesus Christ has done. No matter what is happening to us, therefore, we may rejoice in the Lord. You may not, there's no reason to rejoice in the Lord if nothing's, nothing fundamental has happened to this world that's full of sin and evil and, and everything else. But it has. There's a fundamental change with Jesus Christ, turned it on its head, defeated it, and so we may rejoice in the Lord. The appeal to be generous to others is also grounded in Christ. Jesus Christ has been magnanimous to you in mercy and kindness, forgiveness and grace, plus many material things. Most generous. He has generously taken care of you. And so, because you have been baptized into Christ, you are to be generous to others in the same way he's been generous to you. And the appeal not to be anxious, but to make supplication to God with thanksgiving also rests on Christ. Jesus Christ has been exalted. He's been given the name Lord. He rules over everything. And this frees us from trying to control our lives to be the way we want them to be. It puts us, ourselves, into perspective and makes us less important than we think we are. It frees us because we can rest assured that God hears our prayers in the name of Christ and he cares for us. And so our supplications can be made to God with thanksgiving. Finally, the appeal to think about whatever is excellent and praiseworthy is grounded in Jesus Christ. He reveals to us that God is the origin of virtue and he preserves it in this world. 
I always think about that. Why is it, after these millennia of very sinful humanity with all kinds of evil and terrible things that we've done and, and all the decadence that happens in culture, and yet there still are virtuous things. There are still are elements of virtue and excellence that we can see in, um, in, in uh, what humanity can do and in terms of culture. It's not perfect. It's, it's corrupted, but the vestiges are there. Why is that? It's because God preserves it in this world. All that is good and just and true and honorable comes from God. Its origin is from God. And through Christ, he doesn't let it get wiped out of his creation. Beautiful music, noble stories, true reasoning, justice, and the virtues of kindness and chastity, mercy, love, courage, honor, remain in our world despite sin and evil. We can actually talk about those things and name those things, and people can have some idea of what we're talking about because they're still around to some degree. Therefore, what is excellent and virtuous is there for us to study and to fill our minds and develop in our lives. These are appeals meant to be practiced, not ignored, because they're grounded on Christ. The appeals of the Word of God are still being made to you. They are not hollow appeals that you can ignore. They are well-grounded in Christ. In our worship, the appeals of the Word of God come to you in the Scripture reading and every week in the call to obedience. And we heard one this morning, the apostolic instruction to pray. You, being baptized into Christ, are expected to listen to these appeals carefully and to put them into practice in your life, to take them seriously, because the Lord is near. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you have knit together your elect into one communion and fellowship in the mystical body of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Give us grace so to follow Jesus Christ in all virtuous and godly living, that we may come to those ineffable, ineffable joys that you have prepared for those who truly love you. Through the same, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, in glory everlasting. Amen. Please stand. Let us confess our faith. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our hymn as we come to the Lord's table is number 645, Jesus, the very thought of thee.
Scripture promises us, says you were ransomed, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. The apostle reminds the church the cup of blessing which we bless is it not a communion in the blood of Christ. The bread which we break is it not a communion in the body of Christ. The word communion there, koinonia, can be fellowship, participation, but the point is it's not just a remembrance in, in terms of recall. There's actual participation going on with Christ by faith in the Holy Spirit. And those questions, by the way, are not just wondering. They're rhetorical. Of course, that's what it is. This is a covenant meal with God, and we come surrendering our wills and being responsible to God alone. No longer is our task to adjust to our world or to our society. We are to be obedient to God's will, which is above every other will, including our own. And our pledge as we come to this table is to live as faithful members of God's community of grace and peace. That community is the church. We join hands with our fellow Christians in a common loyalty to God. And all of this is laid upon us as we partake of the Lord's Supper. So here in this covenant meal, it is being ratified or, or sealed that we belong to Christ. We are his people. We are to live his way. All who have been baptized, who have professed faith publicly in Jesus Christ and are communicant members of a Christian church, 
are welcome to come and share in this joyful feast of our Lord. Please join me now in giving thanks to God for our salvation and new life with Jesus Christ. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give him thanks and praise. Our Father, you have made the world and you have shown your love for your creation. You did not make it frivolously. You gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. So you have set out your purpose to redeem your world from its sin. His dying and rising has set us free from sin personally and free from death, that even though we die, we are not held by death forever. And so we gladly thank you with the communion of saints, all those who've gone before us to, the, to be with the angels in, in heaven, and they are now praising you, saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, Heaven and earth are full of your glory, Hosanna in the highest. And we join them in that great song. We praise and bless you, loving Father, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as we obey his command, by your Holy Spirit, may our eating of this bread and drinking of this cup be for us a communion in the body and blood of your dear Son. Father, we remember all that Jesus did, his incarnation, his service on earth, his death, his rising to new life and ascending to your right hand. And in him we plead with confidence his sacrifice made once and for all upon the cross. With the bread of life and the cup of your salvation, we proclaim his death and resurrection until he comes in glory. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Dying, you destroyed our death. Rising, you restored our life. Lord Jesus, come in glory. Lord of all life, help us to work together to bear witness to that day when your kingdom comes and justice and mercy will be seen in all the earth and your kingdom will be consummated in its fullness. Look with favor on your people. Gathered, gather us in your loving arms and bring us with all of your holy people to feast at your table in heaven. Through Christ and with Christ and in Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all honor and glory are yours, O loving Father, forever and ever. We offer our thanksgiving with one voice, and we say together, Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Thank you. 
So surely as Christ's body and blood have been given for your salvation. So remember that and know that you, abiding in him, you are, um, you are strengthened and your sins are truly forgiven. Take and eat this bread. And remember Christ's body and blood given for you. And drink this cup, remembering his salvation that he has accomplished for you. And that is the ground for your life forever in this world and on. Take and eat and drink. Let us pray. Father of all, we give you thanks and praise that when we were still far off, you met us in your Son. Your Son, your eternal Son, came and dwelt among us, took our flesh upon himself, and has turned us and brought us back to you. Dying and living, he bore our sin, gave us grace, and opened the gate of glory. May we who share Christ's body live his risen life. We who drink his cup show others the true vine. We whom the Spirit lights, may we give light to the world. Keep us firm in the hope that you have set before us, so we and all your children may be free, and the whole earth live to praise your name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The final hymn is number 310, Rejoice, the Lord is King.
May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And the blessing of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you all now and forever. Amen. Please be seated, and good morning. Today is the first Lord's Day of the month, day on which we usually celebrate our fellowship dinner. However, because um, longtime members from the olden days are visiting next week, uh, the Bratchers, we are going to hold our uh, potluck meal that next week. So today we will have... Christian education classes on our topic, Narrative Apologetics. So, and the Thursday Bible study is on the calendar here at the church. Women's prayer meeting this Thursday morning at the Roberts home. And that is all I have. Uh, there is a note in there about if you have any of our church library books um, and you've, you're really not using them, then please find them, bring them back. Um, we just have to make that announcement once in a while. It's so easy to take, get a book, set it up on a shelf, forget about it. Um, we had a, a former church member who's been gone for a few years who actually sent one of the books back <laughs> that he had <laughs> taken with him by accident and I thought, oh, that's where that is. Um, so anyway, if you could, just kind of round those up and bring them back. It would be appreciated. Yeah, I think I have one of those. <laughs> i got to read it really quickly. And finally, uh, Michael Roberts. Is that my cue? I have a report from the audit committee, which met yesterday. We have successfully examined the financial records for Providence Orthodox Presbyterian Church, including giving records, bank statements and reconciliation, summary profit and loss statement, summary balance sheet, and transaction detail for calendar year 2023. It is our opinion that these financial records are consistent and in proper order for the year ending December 31, 2023. Very good. And finally, I'll let you know that that phenomenon, lending brightness to the atmosphere, is the sun. It's there. No way. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. I'd just like to know if that's one of your presents. 
Is that one of your presents? Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, happy birthday. And finally, my wife is signaling me over there to remind me that Hunter and Sydney are expecting. So, for August, I believe. So, my little my little guy is going to be a pop. So. so we have classes and take take your uh, break. Good news.